And not only are there a number of different ways in which we tend to create conflict, but what he pointed out was really interesting is that each of us even have a preferred style in terms of how we tend to create conflict and sabotage relationships. And that was a bit revealing, right? Something that we don't tend to think about all that often. And so this week we transition from what it means to be a conflict maker to a peacemaker. But before we do that, we need to take a moment to understand what being a peacemaker means. So is a peacemaker an argument stopper? So if I break up an argument that two people are having, does that make me a peacemaker? Well, what if the way I did it was by slapping both of them in the back of the head? Does that still make me a peacemaker? Is that what is defined as an argument stopper? Or is a peacemaker a conflict preventer? So if I stop the conflict before it happens, like I see two friends who are getting into this discussion about who's better, Superman or Batman, and they're kind of engaging, and it's starting to get heated, and I make a joke, and then everything kind of diffuses, does that, is that what makes me a peacemaker? And maybe I don't know. But the reason why all of this is important, the reason for our series is that Jesus made it a point to commend the peacemakers. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus declares, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Children of God. That is a great title to have, to be called a child of God. I mean, I know in the book of Romans, God tells us that we're all adopted into his family. So technically, every Christian, everyone who puts their faith in Christ is a child of God. But it's like in this passage, Jesus specifically takes the time in the Sermon on the Mount to say that peacemakers own the title. They've earned the badge to be called child of God. So what does this mean? We're going to flesh this out as we go, but the simplest way to begin is to understand that children do what parents do. We got four kids, and we just understand the way our kids learn is they tend to see what we do and imitate it, whether we like it or not. And when Jesus laid down his life to establish peace between God and sinners, he set an example for his people to follow. And what God declares is when God's people do the same thing Jesus did, make peace between God and sinners, then they become, they are, they're, they're taking action that makes them children of God. And one more thing I want you to observe, the term that Jesus uses here is peacemaker, not peacekeepers. Peacekeepers are focused on maintaining the status quo. Peacemakers are focused on not having things get disrupted, not allowing the status quo to get overthrown, and maintaining the peace, oftentimes at any cost. And that is not the example that Jesus talks about. Jesus did not call us to be peacekeepers. Jesus called us to be peacemakers. And peacemakers differentiate themselves from peacekeepers in that they are willing to go into conflict and in the midst of conflict, create reconciliation and peace. It's an active role. It is not a passive one. And ultimately, as Christians, we believe that true peace 
only comes through having a relationship with our King and our Savior, Jesus. So after sharing all that, as I was going through the prep and understanding what a peacemaker looks like and is, you inevitably ask yourself, am I one? I'm not sure. On the plus side for me, I have been married for over 20 years to my beautiful bride. And during that time, um, I've only raised my anger or my voice in anger towards her once in over 20 years. You marry a Cuban wife, you find out you don't do it more than once or, you know, your life is on the line. And so I think that should count for something, right? I'm also a rather good listener and I don't tend to take things too seriously. That being said, I have a problem with anger. Uh, I get angry when I'm offended. I get angry when I'm insulted. I get angry sometimes like a pouty little kid when I don't get my own way. My family can attest to this because I've yelled, even though I've only yelled at my wife once, I've yelled at my kids a couple of hundred times. And uh, even my co-pastors have seen that side of me come out as well when I allow my frustrations to boil over. And so I don't really know if I could be categorized as a peacemaker. I think that like most of you, I'm probably more of a peace wanter. And so as we go in and we dig into this idea of what Jesus talks about when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God in Matthew 5, we want to take a look at what Jesus means when he makes that bold declaration. The Greek word used for peacemaker is an unpronounceable word, erinopios. I have no idea. You have to ask like Francisco and Andrew on that one. But the word means literally a lover of peace. That's kind of what we would expect it to mean. So when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, he's like, blessed are those who are lovers of peace. And I think that's a great place for us to begin, to ask ourselves, are you, am I, a lover of peace? Am I the type of person that is willing to work hard in the midst of conflict to create peace? Or am I the type of person that I would rather just stay back, mind my own business, and just maintain status quo? Are you a man or woman of peace? That's also involved in this idea of being a lover of peace. Am I at peace inside? So not only am I willing to step into external conflict, but what about the conflict I have inside? Is that what defines me? Or do I consistently step into and allow God's peace to overwhelm me and to fill me inside as well. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul shares some interesting truths about this idea of peace. And what he shares is that first and foremost, if we want to experience God's peace, then we have to bring our anxieties, our worries, and our requests to him in prayer. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, by prayer, Petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is a promise, saints. And better yet, it is a fantastic deal. What God is telling you is that you trade me, you surrender your anxiety, your worry, and your requests, and what I'll give you in return for that is a peace which transcends all understanding that will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus. Fifteen years ago, I did something really stupid that put this to the test. We had just given birth to our daughter Isabel. That wasn't the stupid part. 
Um, but after we'd given birth to Isabel, I forgot to, uh, I don't know what you're supposed to do. You have to report it to the insurance company that you have a baby, report, declare, contact them, let them know in some way, shape, or form. Well, in the midst of having a new baby and all the chaos afterwards, I just completely forgot. And then a couple weeks later, we started getting these bills from the hospital for Isabel's delivery that was in the thousands and then tens of thousands of dollars. And I realized that, oh, I skipped a step. I missed something. So I called our insurance company, and they told us that it was too late. And I w- I'd missed the window. And so um, we were responsible for all of her bills, and we couldn't have her added to our insurance until the coming year. So now even before we had Isabel, our family was already on government assistance. It turns out that, you know, Raising support, being in full-time ministry in a recession isn't the best idea in the world. And so we were already in a rough spot. And so now having all of these bills, it was just insane. And I remember in our first home, I just was sitting in the hallway after having this conversation, hanging up, and I just crumpled. And I just started to cry, and I had, I had no I just broke down. And it was at that point I remember distinctly that this was one of the verses I'd memorized in one of the summers I'd spent at, at a leadership training program, and, and I just began to pray it, and I began to claim it. I said, Lord, I have no idea what is going to happen. God, I am so broken right now. I see there's no way out, and yet I'm going to give you my anxiety, my worries, my fears, and Lord, I pray for your peace, and he gave it. That is the promise that God has given us exchange give me your anxiety and your worries and i will give you my peace in return but you got to surrender it you can't say here it is take it away and then hold on to it at the same time if you want peace let it go that's the key to what it means to be a peacemaker that it's about as much who you are as it is what you do and a true peacemaker is at peace within before it ever gets reflected outward most of us are a work in progress but paul continues in philippians 4 when he says and now dear brothers and sisters one final thing so he's talked about giving up your anxiety and worry the peace of god which transcends all understanding guarding your hearts and minds in christ jesus and then he continues fix your thoughts on what is true what is honorable what is right pure lovely and admirable think about those things which are excellent and worthy of praise keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me everything you've heard from me and saw me doing then the god of peace will be with you it's a continuation of that same idea where god is saying if you want peace within this is what you must do Surrender your anxiety, your worry, your fears, your requests, and fix your eyes on that which is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy and admirable. These are the things that you fix your eyes upon. That's the secret to being a peacemaker within, choosing what you fix your eyes upon. Don't be careless. Don't let your eyes get settled on immorality and lies and falsehood and pride and get your eyes fixated on the ugly things of the world and that's what we have to realize and and it can be difficult because 
the world's orientation is completely different from how God wants our eyes to be oriented. The world likes conflict. The world encourages drama. There's a reason why what we consistently see on our, on our TV sets and in the news and in our Twitter feeds and even uh, over the course of the cruise, when we were in our cabin, I uh, was just sitting there on, on the bed just relaxing for a bit, turned on something on the TV, and there wasn't anything worth seeing except the cartoon, cartoon network, is that cartoon network, and, and I was watching Tom and Jerry, and I was laughing, and then I realized even Tom and Jerry is violent. Tom's trying to eat Jerry, Jerry's maliciously disrupting, messing with Tom's life, and, and that's just, it's just never-ending cycle. And so even our cartoons are filled with things that are not necessarily noble, right, and pure, and good. And it's a vicious, the world likes conflict. It encourages drama. It stirs up anger and outrage. And God gave his only begotten son to the world in order to build a bridge, to establish peace, and to reconcile sinful people with God. God's desire is for love and for peace to rule. The world chooses differently. The, cho the world may talk about peace, but it highlights conflict. The world might say it desires peacemakers, but who, does it, who, do they, who do they glorify? They glorify the rebels and the revolutionaries. With all that, it's no wonder that so many people in our world struggle with this idea of what peace is. So the book of Philippians focuses on peace within. In the book of Colossians, as we go further on in the scriptures, the Apostle Paul talks, takes this idea of what it means to be a peacemaker just a little bit further. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. I love how in both of these passages, thankfulness and peace are tied to one another. And as I shared earlier, the passage in Philippians is focused on having peace within. Some of us really struggle with that, that I just can't get things out of my head. I just don't always feel, I don't know what peace within looks like. I feel like inside I'm constantly at conflict, constantly discontent. If that's where you are, Philippians is where you need to hang out. If you're like, you know, I'm actually pretty good on that side. I understand what peace, I may not have it all the time, but I understand what God's peace guarding my heart and mind looks like. And then what Paul says is, well, beyond that, God's peace is given not simply to you, but as members of the same body, we are called to peace as well. That means there must be peace amongst one another too. And so in our remaining time, I want to help you do this. I want to help you understand how to resolve conflict. If I have conflict with someone else, how am I to handle that? So I know within what I need to do, I need to surrender, I need to let go, I need to fix my eyes. But what if I have conflict with someone else, with one of my brothers or sisters or someone in my family? How do I handle that situation? 
And so I'd love to tackle how for us to practice being peacemakers in a pragmatic way. Not necessarily because that's an issue in our church, but simply because I want to equip you from what God says in this. And our guide is going to be Jesus. And he takes us into the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 15. This is what Jesus shares. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If another person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again. So everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. There are some great principles in this passage. It's a passage that a number of you are probably familiar with, with this idea. I just want to take some time to flesh it out so we might understand when we put these verses into practice what that's supposed to mean. Because it's kind of like if our conflict is with our wife, we don't want to get kicked out of church and all that fun stuff. So we're going to take some steps to identify what this means. So we'll begin with steps, right? And we'll take them piece by piece. So step one, we'd say, is if there is an offense, evaluate whether or not this is an issue worth pursuing. So 1815, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. So being a peacemaker does not necessarily mean that we run down and chase down every offense. In this passage, there's two conditions that Jesus is giving to give you an idea, to give you a sense of understanding, is this an offense I should run down? First, are they another believer? That's kind of an important one. As I shared with you earlier, this world is offensive. Its very nature rubs against God. And so that should not be a surprise to any of us. At the same time, we need to understand it's not fair to impose God's standards on people who don't know God. That is not what he is telling us to do. And so if the offender is a fellow Christian, then we understand that we have the word of God in common. And God gives us a guideline on how to deal with conflict amongst one another. So that's where we begin. We ask the question, are they fellow? If they are a fellow believer, then we ask the question, did they sin against us? That's an interesting question. There are times when Christians, even Christians, can be rude, can be inconsiderate, can be stubborn, and can be thoughtless. But have they sinned against you? Was there some intent to hurt, to harm you in some way, shape, or form? If not, then this might simply be an issue that you need to let go. Just forgive them without necessarily having to confront. But... If you're pretty sure their actions, their words, whatever it was, was designed to hurt you in some way, shape, or form, the wrong was directed specifically at you, then this is an issue worth pursuing. And what Jesus teaches is that you are to go to them privately and you are to point out the offense. And I want to make this, I understand I'm, I'm making this sound a bit simpler than it is. There is a lot of gray area in this, but trust the Holy Spirit what he tells you to do. And even understanding that there may, may be times when I'm, I know they're not necessarily sinning against me, but I want to speak with them about it nonetheless. And that's fine. It just may not be following the entire process that Jesus lays out in Matthew 18. So if the decision is to confront, the best way to begin is to plan a private and personal discussion to resolve the conflict. 1815, 
go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens, listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. I love how the Bible says that we address problems personally and uh, not through text, not through an email, not through a snap, and not through some emoji. All right, We can do much, much better than that, saints. God tells us that we are to approach the offender in a personal fashion, and it's a lot scarier this way. It's a lot more intimidating this way, but this is what God says is the right way for conflict in the family of God to be handled. Plan for a time that works out for both of you, so don't pick a time when you're tired. Don't pick a time when you're already cranky anyway. Pick a time that fits where you're going to be at your best because that's how you should be when you address conflict. Three, address the conflict in a calm environment and in a timely fashion. Matthew 5 shares this idea. It says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. While you're on your way to court with an adversary, settle your differences quickly. When we seek to resolve conflict at a face-to-face, personal level, always choose to address the conflict in a timely fashion and in an environment that is calm. So I'm going to unpack that a bit. When we say a timely fashion, that means you probably want to give it a little bit of time for the heat of the emotions to kind of taper down just a little bit, but not so long that the event is no longer fresh. So uh, let the emotion settle, but let's make it when we talk about it, it was something that happened recently, not a long time ago. Does that kind of help you understand what a timely fashion looks like? And then in a calm environment. So a calm environment, this isn't necessarily a one-size-fits-all. It kind of depends a bit on the offense. If the offense was something that was wrong, inappropriate, but it's relatively small, it isn't highly emotional, then you can meet at a Chick-fil-A, you can meet at a Starbucks, and you can just have that conversation there, and that's totally fine. And, uh, and maybe if it's, you know, uh, if more emotional, if it's more heated, if it's more charged, then you might want to choose a bit more of a private setting. But choose an environment that's calm. Maybe even want to bring someone with you who, if it's really emotional, someone who can be a support for you as well. So eight or nine years ago, I had this, situation with a fellow leader and we were discussing i don't even remember what we're discussing uh what we were talking about this probably happens to you guys all the time you get in this argument i remember the the argument i remember how it got heated and i remember how it was really interesting that this person was getting more and more angry and i was getting more and more calm and i remember that because i that's not typically me i'm a passionate person and i tend to get a bit riled up as well but i was getting calmer and calmer and i remember and i can be a bit obnoxious at those times too and i just have to say that about myself because i'm a bit stubborn i'm a bit pugnacious i tend tend to sometimes think that my way is best i don't know there's no truth to that i'm just saying that's what i believe and so anyway i remember this person we're sitting across from one another at a table and they stand up and they put their fists on the table and leans over and gets in my face and says frank i want to punch you in the face right now and i was taken aback and i'm like whoa where did this go and so i i um that's not necessarily the greatest thing to do and i know i've got a big target right here so him saying that he wants to punch me in the face is just 
this thing. And so I, uh, I remember after he said those words, me being the punk I was, I was so calm. And I said, well, I don't know how to help you there. And uh, that was just my response. I don't know why I said that. That's, but they got so mad, they stormed out the door. And I realized when they weren't coming back that, okay, I'm out of here too. So I was fine. I was calm until I got into my car, until I started to drive away. And then I got angry. And I'm like, wait, who does this person think they are that they can come and tell me that they're going to punch me in my pretty Chinese face? That's just wrong, right? That's not appropriate. And that is something that shouldn't happen. That's not what something one brother should say to another. And I was thinking about these Matthew 18 passages, and I decided this is something that is worth pursuing. And so we had set up to have another meeting in a couple of weeks, and I told him that I wanted to discuss this in a calmer way the next time we met, and he agreed. And then two weeks later, we got a chance to sit down together, both of us in a much calmer state, and we talked. And during that time, we focused on number four, which is focus on the problem and not winning the argument. Focus on the problem and not winning the argument. Matthew 7 says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How do you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let's see if you can track with me. There are times when we have discussions that turn into arguments. And the reason why these discussions turn into arguments is because at some point in the conversation, one of us lost focus. And instead of allowing the discussion to be about the problem, we make it about something else. Does that sound familiar to you all? We had a discussion. It became an argument, and the reason why the discussion became an argument was because we lost sight of the problem, and we started bringing other baggage in. And typically, it goes like this. We're just talking about, we're trying to come up with a solution to the problem, and one of us somehow brings up something from the past. You remember the last time you did something like this, too? Or you do this all the time. Last week, you did something just like this and on and on, right? They bring in something and they make it about more than the problem in front of us and they bring in other ammunition. And it has nothing to do with the problem at hand except it makes the person who brings it in feel a little bit superior. And then the other person gets defensive. They might start bringing in past issues and then it changes. The ground shifts from trying to solve the problem together to I want to win the argument. And that's a dangerous place to go. And that's why I shared that passage with you. That in one sense, getting the speck out of our brother's eye can be really, really simple unless we've got a log in our own. Stay focused on the problem and don't turn it into winning the argument. And so when, when this idea, what this means is when we're sitting down, if we're confronting over an issue and I want to discuss something that you said, you did that offended me, that hurt me, Stay focused on the problem. Don't get on a tangent. Don't bring up past issues. Don't bring up all these other issues to prove your point on how they're wrong and you're right. Focus on solving the problem. 
Then we move on from there to five, affirm your relationship and focus on forgiveness. Ephesians chapter four, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgiven you. So get rid of all bitterness, get rid of all rage, get rid of all anger. I don't think I'm unique in this. If I am, just humor me. There are times when I enjoy nursing a wound. There's, uh, there are times when it's very satisfying to play the part of wounded victim. And what that means is I don't want to forgive you just yet. You hurt me. And I just like staying here just for a little bit because as long as I stay here, I can think some really mean and wicked things about you and feel justified. What a jerk. What a punk. You're the one in the wrong. And you know what? It also kind of feels good to kind of put you in a position where you need to grovel just a little bit. And what Paul says is, no, no, no. If you want to be, the goal is reconciliation. And if you want to be reconciled, you have to be able to let go of bitterness, rage, and anger. Don't be nursing your wounds. And the way, the way God says, you know what will help if you're having a hard time doing that? Remember that Jesus is forgiving you first and fully. And if Jesus is forgiving you for all the garbage and all the junk that you've done, how will you not forgive first? So this is what Paul is teaching us. Reconciliation is the key to resolving conflict. Do we all understand what reconciliation means? Reconciliation is that process by which we take things that are, we take hostility, we take fragmented, we take brokenness and bring it back to a place of wholeness and healing. Where, where, uh, take it, where reconciliation is a process where we take what is broken and create a sense of wholeness and restoration and renewedness, right? The process has to be completed in order for us to be considered peacemakers. The steps before, they're simply to bring us here. All the steps before, choosing, you know, determining, do I do this? Do I address this or not? Finding a calm space, being able to address it meaningfully, being able to focus on the problem and not getting off on tangents. All of that stuff is to bring you to this point of, okay, we've had the conversation. I've been able to share what my concern, what my hurt, and my, what I, how, how I was offended. We've gotten this place, and then... Forgiveness and reconciliation is what brings all of this together in the end. That is what defines a peacemaker. And peacemakers will patiently work through the process of taking what is broken and what is messy and bringing it to a place of wholeness, a place of restoration. If you make it here and reconciliation has happened, great. Praise the Lord. That was the goal. Great job, peacemaker. You've earned the badge. But what if it doesn't? If that's not where we ended up, then I think we need to take a step back and say, okay, where did the process get interrupted? Where did we end up getting stuck? And where we got stuck, was it me who got it stuck? As in, you know, our discussion was going pretty well. They were pretty humble. They even apologized. And then I went and brought in all this other garbage and we got into another fight. Was it you? Or was it them? 
Was it? No, I, I honestly did. I addressed the concerns in a reasonable, calm way. I stayed focused on the problem. Everything was clear. They were just unwilling to repent. And if that's the case, Matthew 18 gives us recourse. Jesus gives an appeal process and says, okay, well then, if that's the case, you take the next step. You keep going until reconciliation is the result. That is what it means to be a peacemaker and not simply a peacekeeper. Two weeks later, my brother and I had a chance to meet again, and in a much calmer state, we were able to have a conversation. And during that conversation, I told him, I was like, look, I know, I can be a punk. I am, I am stubborn, I'm pugnacious, and yes, sometimes I don't listen very well, which is ironic because that's my background and my training, but in this situation, I know that's what I did, and I know I can be annoying. At the same time, you do not have the right to threaten me. There are no circumstances under which that is okay. And they understood, they apologized, they were very gracious about it, and we were able to be reconciled. Our relationship is still strong as a result. That is what it means. That is the blessing and joy of living as a peacemaker, and when you do so, you are called a child of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I'm excited about where this series is going to take us over the course of our remaining couple of weeks. I'm excited about having us as saints committed to living this way, to understand that, you know, yeah, we, if we're pretty honest with ourselves, we can tend to be a bit better at stirring up conflict than we are at creating peace. And that was where Andrew was last week. Fantastic. Admit it, confess it, and move forward. This week, talking about what, it, what the idea of being a peacemaker means. It means that we're, we understand what it means to be at peace within Philippians. We understand what it means, the importance of being at peace amongst one another, Colossians. Next week is going to be our Easter service. I'm excited about having the opportunities to share on what it means to be reconciled with God and what that involves. And I'm excited about us having a time where we can all celebrate together, and I hope that you are as well. So we're going to have Katie come up in a little bit. I'm going to close this out in prayer, and then we're going to run through some announcements. So uh, there's some specific things we're going to ask of you uh, for next week. So just kind of stay tuned in. And uh, I'm hoping, I'm excited about the time we have as a church family. I want to encourage you guys all to bring a friend, and we will see what God will do. So let me close out in prayer, and we'll have Katie come on up and close this out. Lord, thank you so much for this morning, for this time, for the joy, blessing, and privilege of being your children uh, adopted into your family, to know that you've given us your only begotten son to redeem us, to save us, to pull us out, to rescue us from a wretched world that seems bent upon conflict and drama and violence and anger and all of the things that we say we don't want, but they highlight and glorify nonetheless. And, and um, God, it's frustrating. It's difficult um, to live as your kids in the midst of a world that um, thinks and acts and lives so differently. And I just thank you for the abundant grace that you show us. I thank you that we have brothers and sisters and uh, to be able to encourage and challenge and spur one another on. We pray, oh God, that by your Holy Spirit, we would live the way that you have called us to live, that we would choose to be 
peacemakers and not peacekeepers, not simply peacekeepers. That you'd raise up in us to be women and men of courage, women and men of boldness and faith, to be able to choose to live the way you've called us and not settle for what's easier, but settle for what's cheap. And Lord, I give you praise. We're able to lift up our anxieties, our worries, our fears, our concerns, our requests to you to be able to experience the reality of having your peace, which we don't fully under a peace that we can't truly comprehend, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So that as a church body, we understand what it means to be called to be peacemakers. We love you so much. We're so grateful uh, for this new life that you've given us. We thank you, thank you for the opportunity to celebrate the resurrection next week. And uh, we pray that for this week, you keep our minds and our hearts and our spirits attentive and focused to hearing you and uh, to doing what you called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Frank. Well, good morning, church. Um, before we get into announcements, I just want to take a second and remind you that we have our Connect card. So if you have a prayer request, you can fill that out at the bottom. Or if you have any updated information, if you've moved or changed email addresses or phone numbers, you can fill that out on there. And in the very back, on the back wall, we have a little mailbox. And you can stick those in there along with your tithes and offerings. Um, the first announcement I want to share with you is that this Friday night, our women's ministry is hosting an art night. And I know that a lot of us are really excited about that. It's going to be Friday night here at the church at 7 p.m. And you can just bring a few dollars with you to help cover the costs. And if you have any questions or you want to RSVP, you can talk to Morgan. So Morgan, give us a wave. Hey, Morgan. It's going to be great. So we hope to see you guys there on Friday night. Um, also, I am very excited to share that in the history of Awakened Church, we have something brand new we've never done. This summer, our church is going to be doing a week-long VBS. And that's a really big deal. We haven't done this before, not a week long. And we're really excited. Um, just across the parking lot, there's another church that meets every Sunday, Church of the Redeemer. And we're going to be partnering with them. So we're going to be doing a joint VBS with their church. And we're really, really excited about it. If you want to take your phone out, go ahead and put it in your calendar. It's going to be June 11th through the 15th in the evenings from 6.30 to 8.30. And it is for children from three years old through fifth grade. So that's uh, June 11th through the 15th, 6.30 to 8.30, three years old to fifth grade. And if you have a middle schooler or a high schooler, they're invited also to come along and help join the serving team. We're going to have more information. And um, as we get closer to that, there will be some information meetings. The first volunteer meeting will be April 15th after the service. So we'll have more details on that. But, um, Laura will have sign-ups, and you can, if you have any questions, you can ask her about that. But we're really excited. This is really big for our church to um, have the opportunity, uh, our, our opportunity to be part of a VBS this summer. So we're excited about that. And then the last announcement I have, um, Frank mentioned, next Sunday is Easter. And we are going to be having a wonderful service. We invite you to um, invite neighbors, friends, family to come join us in the service. And immediately following the service, we're going to have some light refreshments and an Easter egg hunt for the children. So if you have kids, make sure you bring a bucket or a basket or a bag or something for them so they can collect some eggs next week. And we ask that if you are not able to stay for that and you need to leave early, we ask that you park 
um, in another parking lot. Like when you come in our church to the right, there's a parking lot that's perpendicular. And we ask that you park over there if you're going to need to leave, just because the Easter egg hunt is going to be right out front in our grassy area, and we can't have cars driving through the parking lot during the Easter egg hunt. So we are really excited about that next week. I think that's all we have for you. So I hope you guys have a great Sabbath. Enjoy resting this afternoon, and we'll see you next week for Easter. Thanks.